Возлюбленная Богом Церковь, начиная наше богослужение пред Господом, встанем, пожалуйста, и утвердим обетование, относящееся к предверию нашей надежды. Да воцарится воскресение Христова в наших телах. Склоним наши головы в молитве. Дорогой Небесный Отец, во имя Иисуса Христа, мы благодарны имени Твоему Святому за вновь представленную привилегию быть на месте всем, которые очертила десница Твоя для поклонения Святому имени Твоему. И ныне позволь наследию Твоему во имя крови забета подняться на вершины для нас недосягаемые и сокрушить всякое бремя и запинающий нас грех. Да будут прокляты в этом служении, как и прежде, все дела дьявола, болезни, нищета, преждевременная смерть, демоническая зависимость, всевозможные страхи, депрессии, разрушение, косность, невежество – все это да отступит от шатров святого народа Твоего. И ныне встань, Господи, на место покоя Твоего Ты и ковчег могущества Твоего, и да облекутся святые Твои спасением Твоим, и да возрадуются пред лицом Твоим. Дай нам больше от Духа Твоего, пропитай нас Духом Твоим святым, позволь нам найти светлое лицо Твое. Я представляю это служение в Твои божественные руки, виде Его рукою превознесенную, великий Бог, Отец и Дух Святой. Аминь. Да благословит вас Господь, можете садиться.
Yeah. 
If you have your Bibles, please open up with me a familiar for us place of scripture that continues to contain the depths of the wisdom of God that the Lord every time reveals to us the greater and deeper. Matthew 5:45 and 48 that you may be sons of your Father in heaven for he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust therefore you shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect the sermon that I would like to continue is called called to perfection as much as we know, this promise contained in the commandment is the inheritance of the saints of all generations, and this commandment of Christ is addressed specifically to his students. Therefore, people who do not accept God's delegated authority over themselves have no part in the inheritance that is contained in this commandment and are not able to have it. Relevant to fulfilling this required commandment, we stop to study the purpose of the righteousness of God in the heart of a man, specifically the goal that the righteousness of God abiding within our heart is called to pursue, and in part we've been studying the purpose of the righteousness of God within our heart received by us in the two broken tablets in which we die by the law for the law to live for the one that died and resurrected, and by doing so receive confidence of our salvation in the new tablets of the covenant in the format of the law of the spirit of life so that we provide God a basis to give us the promise to be heirs of peace not by the past law but by the righteousness of faith like he gave it to Abraham and his seed for the promise that he would be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law but through the righteousness of faith Romans 4.13 an heir of peace, the inheritance that we strive to receive, that the Lord keeps in heaven, and that will be opened up to us in these last times by faith, by those people that follow salvation. 
We need to know that the righteousness of faith is determined by the obedience of our faith to the faith of God, which is presented in the preached word of God sent, together with the person who represents the fatherhood of God for us and who is our head. Therefore, the promise of the peace of God is given only to those men that are obedient to the order of God in accordance to which God sends us his word by the mouth of his delegated people. Therefore, the covenant of peace within the heart of a man is the result of the obedience of his faith to the faith of God which the spoken word of God's delegated wants, to examine a person as to whether he truly is sent by God to present to us his word is to be done by the power of delegation within the implemented by God order and by the existing within our heart anointing to identify the voice of God in the mouth of that person who is supposed to represent the fatherhood of God to us. 1 John 2:18 through 26 Little children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come, by which we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, and so it looks like the Antichrists, haters of Christ, people who have performed division and came out. It is interesting how the churches that that are all formed around us are formed by division. Uh, who is, how do they identify themselves? Who is the Antichrist and who is it, isn't? There are such Antichrists that actually make reconcile them and they say, well, it's okay that we've had this division in the church, let us serve together and they try to form a sort of peace between each other. These are people that call themselves Episcopals. They believe they are sent by God and that the truth is following them. This is, of course, a great mistake of themselves and those who follow them. If they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out that they may be manifest that none of them were of us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all these things. These things I have written to you concerning those who try to deceive you. And so the church, keep watch of who you listen to. It is your choice. You are the one who chooses who to listen to. The one that you listen to is the one you will follow. Be careful of who this person is. How did he become your leader? Did you make him your leader? Or did he place himself or was he voted for by the majority vote? These people will lead you to hell. You can bury them with an orchestra and talk about how much they've done and so forth, but it is not for you to determine how much who has done. God will decide that, who has done how much, and God doesn't look at what the deeds that we have done ourselves and consider as good, but only those deeds that he has commanded us to fulfill. And so the same work with different people, the one could be the work of the devil, the other the, uh, the work of man and the other the work of God. The one preaches, the other preaches, and the other one evangelizes. But one is inspired by the flesh, the other by the Holy Spirit. You know, we've read a lot about how false prophets, there was always a lot of them in Israel, but true prophets, there were very a very small amount of them, and there were so few that it would be one to two people. And by the hundreds, they... The false prophets came forth and 
if you remember the words of one true prophet when he said spoke his prophecy then one of the lead false prophets said by what path did the Lord step away from me that he speaks through you and this prophet said you will know uh, in your time by the means of the righteousness of faith the covenant of peace demonstrated in the inheritance of peace is called to abide and be within the heart of a man evidence of the fact that he is a child of God therefore the inheritance of peace present in the covenant of peace is actually the treasury of our hope in God containing the complex of all of the promises of God that when accomplished is the goal of the given to us righteousness and so any promise of God we need we can receive by the righteousness of faith or bring them about or make them happen it's very unfortunate that children of God the children of God towards the ends of their lives their heart is a cemetery where the promises have been buried they've decided that these promises they they will receive there in heaven after this life when these promises were given to be uh, given for the purpose of receiving them here many of these people or some that God gives mercy to actually receive salvation before death those that ended up in a situation and that may have been ignorant but those that were resistant of the truth repentance, repentance will not be given to them before death they will go to hell but they will be buried like that rich man with lots of music and they'll talk about all of their good works all of their evangelism what they've done how many children they have how many and they'll talk about who we need to compare ourselves to this is very unfortunate but this is a fact therefore it is righteousness by the means of the peace of God contained in the covenant of peace that can and is called to guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus because the kind of heart you have, the mind you have, is who you are. Only in Christ Jesus is our mind preserved by the righteousness of faith be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus Philippians 4 6 through 7 the peace of God is beyond the abilities of the human mind it is it surpasses any mind. We don't know how God will do this. We sometimes look at this and and ask the question, can God keep us towards the, to the end or and make us stronger, more joyous and healthy and that we in our old age can be fresh and proclaim that God is my strength. I will never be moved. The peace of God that is able to guard our thoughts in Christ Jesus are the thoughts that are renewed by the spirit of our mind, which is the mind of Christ in our spirit. For us to understand that the peace of God can only be with us and we can enter into this covenant when we cast off the old man with his deeds and renew the aspect of our mind with the spirit of our mind. 
For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Romans 8, 6 through 8. According to this statement, we conclude that people who have rejected the condition where the truth of the preached word and the power of the Holy Spirit renews their mind by the spirit of their mind, have no connection to the peace of God and are not able to have it. And consequently, such people have no connection and cannot have a connection to the sons of peace either, that by the means of the peace of God would inherit eternal salvation in the kingdom of heaven. We need to apprehend well that it is only by the collaboration of our spirit with our renewed mind, that is, within Christ Jesus, that we are called to enthrone the resurrection of Christ in our bodies and clothe our body into the resurrection of Christ. That is, take this promise that belongs to the door of our hope. Therefore, to look at the righteousness of faith, so we bring about the inheritance of the peace of God and the conditions, outlining the way our righteousness needs to garment itself into the armor of this peace, so that our mind would be perfect as our Heavenly Father be perfect. We have been studying, so that our mind be in accordance to the mind of our Heavenly Father. This means that you need to penetrate by the, with the Holy Spirit into the thoughts of the Father and then bring over these thoughts into your own mind, the thoughts of the Father. As David, he tended the flocks of his father, not his own flocks, but the flocks of his father-in-law. <clears throat> we understand that there are pure thoughts which are sheep but there are the sheep of the father and those who do not tend the, the sheep of their father have no peace or connection to this peace and are not able to have this connection to peace we were studying such a question by what signs are we able to determine examining ourselves that we are sons of peace as well as the sons of God because it is by the reign of the peace of God within our heart that we are able to examine ourselves as to whether we are truly the sons of God. As it is written, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Matthew 5.9 With this we've noted, and I repeat again, if a person has not died for his nation, for the house of his father, and for his fleshly life, then his justification which he received in salvation by faith in Christ Jesus in the format of a guarantee will never convert into the quality and format of righteousness by which he would be able to receive the ability to be clothed into the promise of the peace of God so that he in his righteousness would bear fruits of peace which is why the prepared-for-them crown of righteousness will be taken from such people, giving them the right to the promise of peace where they could be called sons of God. Behold, I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have, that no one may take your crown. Revelations 3.11 So he kept his faith, and for him a crown of life is prepared that the Lord will give him, and to all of those who 
are waiting for his coming. Jesus said, we need to remember that the promise of the peace of God receives its power and its legitimacy within our heart only by the righteousness of our faith in the covenant of peace, which places responsibility upon both sides of the covenant, where each side or participant of the covenant is responsible to fulfill their role that is implemented by God in the obligations of that covenant. And if either of these sides violates the conditions that were agreed upon in the covenant of peace between God and man, we note that such a violator can only be a man, then the other side being God is released or freed from the responsibilities of fulfilling the conditions of the agreement agreement in the covenant of peace. Therefore, the fruit of righteousness identified as the peace of God within our heart is evidence of the fact that we are sons of peace. This serves as a grounds or a basis for God so that he may fulfill his part contained in the covenant of peace, which consists of leading us into the inheritance of his son so that we would share with him all the things that are written about him in the laws, prophets, and psalms. Because the justification that we receive by right of our birth from the seed of the word of truth has converted into the quality and format of righteousness where we have obtained the ability to bear the fruits of peace within our relationship with God and with those around us. Pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. Hebrews 12.14 We've noted that in this place of Scripture we are talking about a form of unique and supernatural peace that is to be done by God only within the boundaries of holiness or be an expression or demonstration of holiness. These outlined and identified boundaries of holiness are the commandments of God contained in the righteousness of God, not our understanding, but clear words of Scripture. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men, Romans 12:18. Here it talks about the fact that it is not possible to have peace with all men. It's not possible with some people to have peace because they want to have peace with us out of the boundaries of holiness and we are not able to do that. Therefore, the peace of God that we dare by the inspiration of our mind to demonstrate out of the boundaries of holiness and not as an expression of holiness will be incriminated to us as a serious form of lawlessness for which we will be required to pay a price of eternal life. The words that I'm saying right now and that you hear and that others will hear are God's judgment and God's verdict to those people that are haters of the truth and that continue to have communication with corrupt company that they themselves have decided to make a so-called holy and righteous company when they are not. If the pastor according to the revelation of the Holy Spirit and according to Scripture, has announced that these people are evil company or corrupt company and you continue to communicate with them, then you already have this verdict in your heart. And you can't, of course, sense this, but you need to know that the day will come when God will fulfill this word. Because our communication with people that the scriptures identify as evil company will corrupt our good habits and will transform us into their wicked image. Do not be deceived. Evil company corrupt good habits. Awake to righteousness and do not sin. For some do not have the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. 1 Corinthians 15, 33 and 34. These people generally like to take one place of scripture give this place of scripture their own 
interpretation, their own interpretation that would justify their relationship with these people. Therefore, it is impossible and criminal to have peace with the unclean and lawless who support the unclean, that in their time accepted the truth, but afterwards left their church and turned away from the holy commands that were given to them. The very fact of the rebelliousness and resistance that are spoken by God's delegated people, resistance of the words spoken by God's delegated people, testify of the loss of peace in their heart and member them to the category of the wicked. But the wicked are like the troubled sea when it cannot rest, whose waters cast up mire and dirt. There is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. Isaiah 57, 20 through 21. In a specific format, we've already looked at six signs by which we need to determine and examine ourselves as to whether we are sons of peace as well as the sons of God and have been studying the seventh sign. This is our ability to clothe our essence into the holy and selective love of God. Holy, that means selective because holiness, it separates us from the people that are out of the boundaries of holiness, call themselves Christians, but are not within the boundaries of God's holiness. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. Here it's talking about the love of God, agape, which is the bond of perfection. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful, Colossians 3.14.15. Here it's talking about, again, peace with those that are within the boundaries of holiness. We've noted that according to this place of Scripture, the reign of the peace of God within our heart is possible only upon one condition, and that is if the selective love of God will abide within our heart and if we will be clothed into this selective love of God. By itself, the selective love of God is an uncomprehending for the human mind, goodness of God or kindness that is inherent to God. Since in the selective love of God, which is the goodness of God, we see concealed the good, wonderful, eternal, and uncomprehending for the human mind, goals and works of God, called to build the unique and peaceful relationship between God and His children. Because God loves those who love Him and hates those who hate Him. Comprehending the selective love of God is called to fill us with all of the fullness of the peace of God or make us perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect. That He would grant you according to the riches of His glory to be strengthened with might through His Spirit in the inner man that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Here it's talking about those people who are already born from God. And it's talking about the fact that those who are born from God can not have Christ within, although they are born from God. They can allow, by faith, Christ to enter into their heart. I bring the example. Some people say, Jesus lives in me, Jesus lives in me, because I was born from God. They say, By the word of truth, yes, you were born from the seed of your father. You have something from him, but that's not him. When he comes to you as a guest, and you say, Father, I don't want you to be a guest in my house. I want you to be the master of my house. By faith, call him and say, Father, this is your house. Be master in this house. 
There's a difference between a born person from the seed of the word of truth and a person who, being already born from the seed of, of the word of truth, by faith receives Jesus into his heart by the means of the Holy Spirit. That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend all, with all of the saints what is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, Ephesians 3:16 through 19, if Jesus will not be in our heart or enter into our heart and not represent the Heavenly Father in the form of the Holy Spirit as the Lord and Master of our life, then we will not be able to understand or comprehend the width and length and depth and height to be filled with the fullness of God. However, to come more practical conclusions when it comes to the selective love of God, we decided to look at the character and quality contained in the selective love of God in the form of seven qualities of true virtue presented by the Holy Spirit in Scripture in the spoken word of the apostles and the prophets. This is virtue, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, and love, written in 2 Peter 1, 2 through 8. We note that each of these seven qualities of the fruit of virtue contains the characteristics of all of the rest of the qualities as they flow one from the other, complete or support one the other, strengthen one the other, confirm the truthful nature of one the other. Second, these qualities are called to be the moral perfection and example inherent to the essence of God. These given qualities are the great and precious promises given to us in Christ Jesus. Fourth, the, these given qualities are the imperishable treasure and wealth with which we need to become rich. You see what we need to become rich with, with these qualities of Virtue, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, and love. This is such a wealth that all of the wealth of the world is nothing in comparison to it. Fifth, in order to receive the inheritance of these qualities, it is necessary for us to receive the power of the Holy Spirit. Sixth, the means that we are to utilize for receiving the power of the Holy Spirit in the, is the obedience of our faith to the faith of God. Seventh, by inheriting these great and precious promises, we become part of God's divine nature. We become as God is. Therefore, the selective love of God demonstrated in the seven unchanging qualities and characteristics have nothing in common with and cannot have anything in common with the nature of human love that is filled with egoism, greed, and is just temporary. It is the selective love of God in the form of seven qualities of unearthly virtue that is called to enthrone the resurrection of Christ in our earthly body and clothe our earthly body into the resurrection of Christ that is into our new person. The quality of the selective of love of God does not compare in any way with the tolerant love of man. Because the virtue of the selective love of God are eternally existing virtues, qualities and characteristics of our Heavenly Father, and His all-consuming holiness, and all that comes from God, because God is love. More specifically, holy love is separated from all that man calls love and such an uncomprehending for our mind transcendent love of God is identified in scripture as the bond of perfection which directs us to the fact that the selective love of God is placed by God as first or a priority over all of his other perfections identified in his virtues 
But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. Colossians 3, 14. The bond of perfection of the selective love of God is unconditional when it comes to the seven qualities of virtue. Unlike the tolerant and egotistical love of man, the unconditional nature of the selective love of God in the seven qualities of virtue is different in the in that it contains the burning jealousy of God, all his knowledge and his absolute wisdom that in no way is able to be used for greedy and egotistical purposes of man. At the same time, the tolerant love of man toward other men is very conveniently used for greedy and egotistical purposes. Here is what the scriptures say regarding the strength of the love of God. Set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm, for love is as strong as death, jealousy as cruel as the grave. Its flames are flames of fire, a most vehement flame. Many waters cannot quench love, nor can the floods drown it. If a man would give for love all the wealth of his house, it would be utterly despised. This is Songs of Solomon 8.6-7. We know that the measure of the love of God is identified by and is known by the measure of God's hatred toward evil and men who do this evil. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Because only loving what God loves and hating what God hates, we demonstrate God's reaction to good and evil. The selective love of God by its unchanging nature in the format of seven supernatural qualities is called to grow us into the fullness of growth in Christ or lead us into the perfection that is like the perfection of our Heavenly Father. Considering that these seven qualities of virtue do not have an analog in the earthly realm of the human lexicon. The love of God in the, is the foundation and atmosphere of the moral and immovable law, opening within our heart the essence of God and the essence of the heavenly kingdom. And this is not all. The love of God agape is a sovereign love, which is unconditional when it comes to the people it chooses, in its abilities to foreknow and predestine. Because of its sovereignty, the selective love of God never violates the sovereign rights of those people she selects and never allows her own sovereign rights within her boundaries to be violated. <clears throat> These boundaries identified as her burning holiness. This is seen in many places of scripture. Draw near to me and I will draw near to you, it is written. I offer to you life and death, blessing and cursing. Choose life so that you would live. A choice, the sovereign right of a person to choose life or death. I stand at the door and knock, and he knocks into the hearts of his own children. And as I often say, he knocks into the hearts of those saints that have a wise heart because to knock into a foolish heart is useless. A foolish one will never hear this knock, not understand this knock, because the foolish long, for long ago has opened up his heart to foolishness. He had decided that the genius of his mind is wisdom. It's the God that he worships. I have my own head. I understand it this way and so forth. This is how I see it. 
this is how it's revealed to me, and so forth. God does not knock in, into such a heart, just as God will not knock, or just as God will not place his wisdom into the foolish heart. I will put wisdom in the heart of the wise. He will not put wisdom into the heart of a person if it this heart does not have righteousness if this person does not perform righteousness in a specific format we've already looked at the demonstration of the selective love of God in the qualities of virtue, knowledge, self-control and perseverance and we stopped to study the virtue of the love of God in the mystery of great godliness if anyone teaches otherwise and does not consent to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which accords with godliness, he is proud, knowing nothing, but is obsessed with disputes and arguments over words, from such withdraw yourself. 1 Timothy 6, 3-4. Withdraw yourself with such, do not... Uh, dispute with them and do not argue. Do you think that Jesus would not have been able to argue with every scribe and Pharisee and prove to them he only did this when the Father desired it? But for the most part, he spoke with his disciples, he opened the mysteries to his disciples, and with the rest he tried not to communicate with them. If they heard from the side and complained, who gave you this authority? Prove that you have this authority. He said, okay, tell me, baptism of John, was it from heaven or from men? If you will tell me from where it came, I will tell you by what power I'm doing this. They began to uh, counsel among each other because John the Baptist had said that this is Christ. But if we say from men, many people follow John and we will lose our respect before them and so they decided they decided to say we don't know and if you don't know Jesus said I also will not tell you by what power I'm doing this Jesus knew how to get out of any situation and when they tried to catch him in words they themselves would be caught in their own words because the scriptures say if you dig a hole for another you want to catch this person, you yourself will be caught into that very net, into that hole. According to this place of scripture, we know that the teaching of godliness within the selective love of God and obsession with disputes and arguments over words are not only opposites or contrary one to the other, but also are unfitting by their nature. In scripture, the discipline of godliness within the selective love of God is presented as the base or foundation of the gospel faith teaching linked together with the great mystery of God. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, pr believed on in the world, received up in glory. 1 Timothy 3.16. Therefore, by demonstrating the signs of the fruits of godliness, we identified the true quality of the love of God agape within the heart of a man, in his words, in his actions, and the manner in which he or she dresses, which isn't supposed to prompt instincts of the opposite sex. In scripture, the meaning contained in the virtue godliness describes the legitimate relationship of the saints and God and bound together in a mutual union or covenant. 
Furthermore, the essence of the selective love of God in godliness is determined and demonstrated in mutual obligation of God and man, outlined and made perpetual by God in a mutual covenant of peace with God. Relevant to this fact, it is necessary for us to respond to four classical questions. First, what are the characteristics of godliness in Scripture, that of God as well as that of man? Second, what purpose is godliness called to fulfill within the relationship of God and man, God and man and man with God? Third, what conditions do we need to fulfill to collaborate our godliness with the goodness of God? And fourth, by what signs are we able to determine that our godliness is truly collaborating with the goodness or godliness of God? In a specific format, we've already looked at a certain part of the first question. What are the characteristics of good of godliness in Scripture, that of God and that of man? And before we study the qualities of the mystery of godliness, we note that we need to differentiate the goodness of God in his favor from the godliness of man that man is called to demonstrate in his love to God. In other words, a person is also called to demonstrate godliness to God. And God will not demonstrate his goodness or goodness or, or godliness until a person demonstrates his own. When a person demonstrates his thanksgiving before God, thanksgiving in his favor, then God will give to this person his favor, his goodness, his thanksgiving. And so where it says, Grace for grace, that doesn't mean grace upon grace, but grace for grace. If a person demonstrates his goodwill towards God, and he can do this only by fulfilling God's commandments, not as I understand it, but as it is written. When I was speaking to specific people about this, they became angry and said, Why are you always saying, written, it's written, it's written? We still have the Holy Spirit, they say. But I say, the Holy Spirit only functions according to what's written. And so that spirit that you have that is resisting the truth is not the Holy Spirit. You think you have the Holy Spirit, but you don't have the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit does not resist the truth. He lives within the truth. He is inspired and inspires the word of God within people that speak as the, speak these words as the faith of their heart. The goodness of God is the kindness of God identified as his good, acceptable, and perfect will, which was formed in the entrails of the Heavenly Father and elevated by him as a commandment. The goodness of God as a commandment of God was elevated by God as a law, a law first for himself, second for his son, and then for the Holy Spirit, and only after that for the chosen flock, whom he foreknew and predestined, that they may be in the image of his son, so that he be the firstborn among many brothers. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren, Romans 8.29. It's interesting that every word that comes out of the mouth of God becomes a law, first of all, for the Heavenly Father Himself. He becomes a servant of His words. That is how God is in His nature. Every word that He speaks, it catches Him into a net. He weaves a net of His own words into which He Himself falls. And 
he then has power to fulfill the words that he speaks and he places this word above himself and when the son sees how the father treats his own word and becomes a servant of his word the son becomes this a servant of that very word the holy spirit becomes the servant of this very word and according to scripture if you see with the prophets the holy spirit and the son of god are in the form of the servants of the word of god willing servants that make themselves servants of this given law because they see and they look at the father they see how the father behaves when it comes to his word and he they then behave the same way to his word considering that every one of them has the power each, each one of them have their own opinion too that they deny for the benefit of the opinion of the heavenly father Jesus had said to the Jews I have much to say about you but I only say what I hear from our heavenly father it's very important sometimes you want to prove you want to show you want to justify yourself but sometimes the Holy Spirit says inside of you do not justify yourself if you want to overcome trials for me those words that fall upon you I seek people that would be able to overcome persecution that falls upon me that you can bear them when Jesus is within our heart then we carry responsibility to carry his persecution when we are in him then he carries upon himself the persecution that falls upon us when Jesus was on earth the persecution of that was against the Heavenly Father fell upon Christ and now they fall upon us and so remember that if you feel you clearly know that you didn't say this and you didn't do this and you, you're being accused of it if you want to catch that ball close your mouth and say Lord thank you that you have allowed me to overcome this persecution that fall upon you but you've made me a part of this it's very important when the disciples suffered for Christ's sake for the first time the Sanhedrin took them beat them and they came out rejoicing that they had the privilege to suffer for 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 Christ's sake I know many people that immediately uh, sue the person uh, who says something against them how can they say this against me in the beginning when I was uh, disqualifying certain individuals from the church they sued the church I received large binders from advocates and I did not open them I just opened the fire or turned on the fire and I threw them in there with all these accusations that are within these binders and I remember one of the doctors he was so called a doctor but he was a Satanist that uh, he covered all his works by uh, he, he used different kinds of herbs but he used actually a lot of demonic power I revealed this and I said I had uh, made it known that this is a Satanist and he hired an advocate and began to sue me I burned this binder two weeks 
later they had uh, they had found that he was uh, prescribing the same medicine to many different people with different issues and they took his license away and he had no ability to sue me anymore because he had no money because his license was taken uh, otherwise he would have continued to do this work that he was doing he shouldn't have done what he did done what he did by trying to sue peop- the person of god it's very important the goodness of god is as a law for the son for the holy spirit for himself the oldest well as the new testament identified the virtue of the love of god in the discipline of godliness as one of the greatest mysteries of god himself which defends and makes the sincere love of god impossible for counterfeit and falsification aside from these characteristics called to identify the character of godliness there's also a counterfeit of godliness that exists as well that conflicts and confronts the true form of godliness having a form of godliness but denying its power from such people turn away 2 Timothy 3 5 how often it says turn away depart from such people but we don't do that you say well God loves everyone and maybe this person will repent maybe this person will repent if you break your relationship with this person but if you don't he will not repent if you don't break it and you will not be given repentance and you will go to the same place he's going to go called as heaven but it's actually hell true godliness in man perfectly differentiates or identifies a counterfeit form of godliness in man and with disdain break all relations or contact with them and distance itself from them as it reveres and trembles before the dictations of God and possesses discipline capable of fulfilling these dictations with great accuracy. If we don't break our relationship with people that have the look of godliness and will not distance ourselves from them, then they will corrupt our godliness that is contained in our good habits, which is why we together with them will inherit the prepared for them destruction. In a specific format, we've already looked at the at some of the characteristics of godliness as well as in what cases our godliness is called to collaborate with the goodness of God in his favor. Therefore, we'll, we shall proceed further. <clears throat> the purpose of godliness in the selective love of God is called to reveal the faithfulness of God to the heirs of his promise in his immutability, sureness, and steadfastness. Hebrews 6.17 through 20. Thus God determined to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath that by two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we might have strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope set before us. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which enters the presence behind the veil, where the forerunner has entered for us, even Jesus, having become a high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. If you pay attention to this amazing place of scripture, here it's talking about the fact that hope that we have within our heart that we have heard by the preached word of God 
we've received it and began to hope upon it, look upon it, confess it, to meditate about it, it enters into the uh, behind the veil and is an anchor of the soul, sure and steadfast. You know, when there's a great storm upon the sea, in order for the uh, ship not to turn over, it can't continue to go or uh, continue to sail. It needs to uh, stay in place and they throw the anchor and it goes deep into the water to the to the bottom and when the wave attempts to turn the ship over these anchors hold it down and only in this way does the ship uh, not suffer shipwreck if you will not have such an anchor then at the time of storm the ship will suffer the shipwreck it will t- turn it over there's waves that truly will destroy the ship to pieces but when there's these very powerful anchors it will hold that's why engineers specialists when they build these ships they also consider the fact uh, uh, that the anchors uh, the ship is to supposed to con- contain or hold this anchor uh, this weight of the and and it's supposed to help the ship if in the time of need the Lord shows in this situation what this hope is for us and that he wanted to show to us, to the heirs of promise, those are, who are to inherit this promise, that his will is immutable and that he has given an oath and this oath is in two things and it, can, it, it makes up our hope, these two things. Those who pass behind the veil, they where the forerunner has entered for us. What is this veil? What is carried from outside into the next room through the veil? The blood and the bread. The holy place had blood and the breads, the showbreads. And here in his blood, Jesus wanted to show that we are redeemed in his blood. And in his bread, he wanted to show, these 12 uh, showbreads, he wanted to show that because of my teaching and the 12 base teachings of Christ, principles that are entered behind the veil into our heart, it needs to be entered into our heart, you will not perish. Whatever storm may come, whatever fear may come, whatever, however hell may behave, God had done this so that we would know that God is faithful and that he will fulfill his goodness. The purpose of godliness in the selective love of God is called to demonstrate God's acceptance, the acceptance of God, God's love and his favor upon his children. Jeremiah 31.3, the Lord has appeared of old to me, saying, Yes, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness, I have drawn you. Appeared of old, that means from eternity, the Lord has appeared to me. And in the original, where it says from eternity, where the first dusts of the universe were not yet formed or created. When... There was no visible or invisible universe when angels and archangels didn't exist, when the unseen world, the invisible world did not, that from there the Lord appeared to me 
Because all of us were in the entrails of our Heavenly Father. You know, the children that are born from us, they are all within our entrails. In the same way, we were in the entrails of our Heavenly Father. And from there, the Lord had appeared to us and said, Yes, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness, I have drawn you. Whatever situation a person may be in, but if he has chosen the right path and has begun to obey, even during the time when he falls, that is not linked to disobedience to the order of God, of course. That is not connected to it. There are sins that the Lord forgives. God can forgive any sin, but not the sin of rebellion. God can f uh, forgive any form of perversion, murder, but rebelling against himself personally is when we reject the person whom God has sent. When we reject him, we find a different person that tries to take the position of this person. An unclean person, a wicked person, is a person that tries to take the position of the anointed of God and speaking to all that he is also anointed. Yes, you are anointed, are anointed, but maybe not for this role. The people who surrounded Moses were anointed people. They were priests. Nathan, Dathan, and as you know, all of them. Korah, they uh, confronted Moses and said, who were you? We saw Lord on the mountain, We and look what happened to them. And when the daughters came, if you remember that there was a family where no uh, males remained, there were only females, and the land was supposed to be divided, and these females said, we don't have a man that would have been able to inherit land. Give to us also, because our father has died for his own sins, but he did not die because of the sins of Korah and Dathan. He didn't follow them. He did not support the ideas of these people who were destroyed. Moses asked God. He didn't know what to do in this situation. And God says, they, these daughters uh, speak the truth. Give them a, a part of that inheritance as an exception to the rule. And they received an inheritance as wives, not looking at the fact that they weren't men because their father was not, uh, did not take part or was not a supporter of the evil of these other men who had perished. People who commit sins, they can repent and receive salvation. They still have sons and daughters. This is the fruit that they bore. But Korah, Dathan, and Abraham, they had were, they were destroyed with their with their children. There were children that did remain that were not destroyed that were of Korah and the others. But those were the ones that did not support the ideas of their father. It's ver it's it's terrible. It's very it's a very terrible sin. It's equal to the sin of uh, offending the Holy Spirit. I more than once had said that those who demonstrate the fatherhood of God, these people, they have the immune system of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is such a unique individual who is not able to defend himself. And if someone begins to uh, accuse the Holy Spirit, speak evil against the Holy Spirit, they will not be forgiven. 
these sometimes people come to me afraid especially from other uh, congregations that in and suddenly these people that came to me they uh, they these people discover uh, certain things and they become afraid that they spoke evil against the Holy Spirit and they come and repent to me and I told them it's impossible for you to have offended the Holy Spirit because you didn't know who the Holy Spirit is as you know, the, they uh, they rebuked the power, uh, rebuked demons. They healed by the power of the Holy Spirit, uh, and Jesus did all these great things. And the elite at that time had uh, that Jesus was doing this by the power of the devil or Belzebub. And so when people again. Uh, criticize, speak evil against the words of God, the people whom are sent by God, uh, forgiveness will not be given to them. But those who followed such people ignorantly, they will have an opportunity to repent. But you cannot take part again in the ideas or support Korah and Dathan and Abram. The Lord will forgive any sin again except that sin. The sin connects a person to wickedness. A person is not able to be renewed with repentance who knew the truth but then de denied the truth and followed their own leaders. The purpose of godliness and the selective love of God is called by God to give his children a future and hope. Jeremiah 29:11. For I know the thoughts, the Lord says, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil. God's godliness is demonstrated in what? In his goodness. He has thoughts of peace and not evil. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not evil, to give you a future and a hope. And so God's goodness contains our future and our hope and the Lord says I myself know Jeremiah 29:11. we can also know this when the Lord says I know that your future and your hope is good and peaceful and you need to remember that I know about this and I want you also to know about this Apostle Paul says but we have the Spirit of God the Spirit penetrates the thoughts of God, and we have the Spirit of God, and we know what happens there. And so today we know our future. Not many people know about the promise that belongs to the door of our hope. Many people say that they will be raptured. They speak about this and preach, but when they preach, their heart does not burn. They don't have trembling before the Lord. <clears throat> they want to use the knowledge of God for their popularity, for their fame. They want and think that if they will be uh, preaching the gospel, will sacrifice, that they will c uh, convince God and make, make it that he has no choice but to save them into the kingdom of heaven. And they do not even know that when they think of such a thing, get this kind of idea, this is that 
the thoughts of a wicked person. We've received justification freely by grace being in the redemption of, that is in Jesus Christ. We then turn to profit this justification. To turn to profit, what it means is to die for our nation, for the house of our father, and for our soul. And when we do this, our mind is renewed. It no longer is the master over our spirit. Our spirit, as the priest and the high priest, begins to dictate revelations and conditions for our king, our new king, our renewed mind. And all that our priest will do, he'll do by our renewed mind. He will reveal to us our future and our hope, whom he received by the Holy Spirit as a revelation. The Holy Spirit can communicate only with our spirit. Our mind communicates with our spirit, not with the Holy Spirit. And so when a person says that the Holy Spirit has revealed something to me, he's opened up, given me these thoughts, and asked them, how do you prophesy? Those so-called prophets, I ask them, well, how? Whatever comes, that is what I say. But prophecies uh, don't work that way, whatever comes. Prophecies are the faith of the heart. It's what is within your heart. You know what you will prophesy about. Pay attention. People who have a better intellect, they prophesy more attractively, more artistically, and those who are do not have a higher intellect, they prophesy in a different way. And this prophecy sometimes uh, even sounds foolish. The words that they speak, they speak, God said this and this, but they use words that are ridiculous in a, in a way. Things that God, of course, did not say, because prophecies are supposed to be the faith of your heart. Previously, it was not so. Prophets of the Old Testament, they heard the voice, and they needed to uh, accurately say those words or pass on these words. In the New Testament, the faith that is in their heart, it's interpreted, and this interpretation is what is confessed. Prophesy according to faith, or the measure of your faith. If they prophesy, what, as they say in the in tongues and whatever may come, they uh, subject their, their mouth to whom? When you speak in tongues and a revelation comes and the Holy Spirit wants to say something, but the Holy Spirit will work by using your renewed mind, your king, and your king sees that this prophecy is not uncom- is not comfortable, is not correct. It's, it will not be received correctly or accepted. It needs to be then presented as a teaching or a sermon instead. But if right now I come out here every time, remove the Bible and say, thus says the Lord, thus says the, the Holy Spirit, because then what will I do? I will then get you, you used to what? I will get you used to not what the word of God says or that it is our authority, but the prophecies of man. The prophecies of man, what, however they may be, are not the greatest authority. The word of God is the greatest authority. And we need to uh, demonstrate 
or get used to people respecting the authority of the word. It is written, it is written, it is written. Christ uh, fighting with the devil, he didn't say the Holy Spirit revealed this, the Holy Spirit said this. He says it is written. You will worship God alone and serve Him only. It is written, Apostle Paul, all of the apostles said, it is written. It is very important. Then people begin to understand the authority of the word. And in the times that are difficult, they don't run to a prophet. They open up the Bible and begin to read. <clears throat> they just will begin to read. And the Lord, uh, from any place of Scripture, any place of Scripture you're reading, the Holy Spirit will take that word that you're reading, or you come to the service, you say, Lord, I, I, I'm going to your service, I have a question. I have weight that I don't know what to do with. Reveal to me, take this weight. And coming to the service, the Lord, by this word, removes this weight from you, this burden from you, and you receive a particular light and a response to your questions. This is the prophetic word. God says, I alone know the thoughts that I think toward you. The purpose of godliness and the selective love of God is called by God to lead us to repentance. Romans 2, 1 through 8. Therefore, you are inexcusable, O man, whoever you are who judge. For whatever you judge, another you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same thing. But we know that the judgment of God is according to the truth against those who practice such things. And do you think this, O man, you who judge those practicing such things and doing the same, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you despise the riches of His goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering? And so it turns out that the goodness of God is our wealth, or do you despise the riches of His goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? In other words, it is not necessary to condemn another person. The goodness of God doesn't lead you so that you can uh, condemn your neighbor. It leads you to repentance so that you judge yourself. But in accordance with your hardness and your impotence and your impotent heart, you are treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath and re revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to each one according to his deeds eternal life to those who by patient continuance in doing good seek for glory, honor, and immortality, but to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth but obey unrighteousness, indignation, and wrath. A person goes to, comes to repent when he, by patience, continuance in doing good, seeks glory, honor, and immortality. He doesn't seek his own popularity when he seeks glory, honor, and immortality. That's glory, honor, and for God. When we read about the 24 elders and the four living creatures, they put their crowns down before God. You have redeemed us from all tribes, tongues, people, and have made us kings and priests, and we will rule on the earth. Worthy are you to receive the glory. These crowns, this righteousness, this is the glory of God. And people in this good work seek honor for God and seek the glory that is due God and seek immortality.
these people who seek these things, then the goodness, that God's goodness will give them eternal life. God, to the riches of his glory, will give them. He will give them eternal life. You may say, well, we already have it. It's talking about those people who are born and receive the Holy Spirit. Do they not have eternal life already within their bodies? No, they have it in their spirit. But here it's clearly talking about the body because they already have eternal life within their spirit. But here it's talking about people that have within their spirit eternal life and seek in good work, glory and honor for God and immortality, God will give to them eternal life. He within their hearts will enthrone the resurrection of Christ. He will give them the promise that belongs to the door of their hope. This is what it's talking about. And if a person does not understand this, he will never <clears throat> see the promises of God here uh, that belong to the door of their hope. Those that are hard and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation, and wrath. Because these deny the promise that belongs to the door of their hope. They want to skip over it and be raptured. But this will not happen. This will not happen. Many holy people will not be raptured, not having this promise. They will resurrect in the last day after the thousand-year reign when the, the devil will be released from his chains and he will deceive men and they will go to fight. Jerusalem that in this time that will be the capital of the whole world and at this time it will be finished and then God will resurrect all people and then will he save them as his sheep and place them on the right side and the left side the bride will not be on the left or the right she will be determining who goes to the left and the right. By, her, by using her, he will judge, just as he gave, God gave judgment to his son. The son gave judgment to his bride. You will sit on these 24 thrones and judge the 12 tribes of Israel. You will judge who is to be saved and who is to be condemned. Here's what it's talking about. Here's where the goodness of God leads. We will be thankful to God that he reveals to us his great goodness. In his goodness, he reveals to us what we have in Jesus Christ if we will be obedient to the preached word. Let us bend our knees and we will pray. May the Lord bless us. In the word that we were able to hear today, may it be imprinted by the power of the Holy Spirit upon our hearts as a signet so that we can receive this word, boast about it, be comforted by it, be re restored by it, and be justified before God. We wait for you here at the altar. <clears throat> from where the food comes, from where the power of God comes, and those who desire to receive freedom from all dependence, fear, healing from any sicknesses or illnesses, the Holy Spirit is here to give it to you according to His goodness. Amen. I am going to be praying your prayer, and I ask you 
to deeply believe in the fact that God is for you. He is not against you. He has loved you with an everlasting love. He has decided that you, He's chosen you to be the ima- in the image of His Son. He can bring you to that perfection. Trust Him again and again, not looking at the fact that you've fallen. The righteous may fall seven times, but He'll rise again. He still sees you as His Son, as His daughter, and He will not be at peace until He brings you to perfection. He will give you the ability to taste of the tree of life. He will give you the ability to experience the power of eternal life in His promises that belong to the door of our hope. Close your eyes. This is your secret room. Lift your hands to God. This is a sign that you are ready to receive from the Lord what He desires to give you. Pray together with me. Heavenly Father, In the name of Jesus Christ, I come to you. I open up my heart. I reveal my sins. I hate them. I hate my dependence upon the old nature, upon my lusts and my desires. I hate them. May they be eliminated and removed into hell by the power of your Holy Spirit. I pray, enter in and be a king and Lord of my life. I trust you, my redemption, my salvation, that you make it happen to the end. I will be obedient to you. I trust you. And right now, before heaven and hell, I want to proclaim that according to your word, I am washed, I am cleansed, I am healed, I am restored, I am justified, and I am saved. Amen. Your sins are forgiven and your trespasses in the name of Jesus Christ. May the Lord bless you. May he look upon you with his great face and show you mercy and give you peace. May thousands and ten thousands attempt to come near you, but they will not touch you. May the blessings of the hills and the valleys be upon you. May the blessings of the promises of God, may they be revealed within your heart. And may you enter into the inheritance of these promises, you and your children, and be all this fulfilled upon you. Amen. I believe that the Lord spoke that the words that he speaks, he talked about the fact that the words he speaks are eternal. And the word of God is eternal. It abides forever. It does not depend on our illnesses. It does not depend on the verdict of the doctor. It does not depend on what people say about us. It depends on how you look at it and what you confess, who God is for you and what he's done for you. He has redeemed you from hell freely by grace. He has justified you. You're justified. You are his children. You can rejoice before the Lord. Hold on to these words in your heart. Even if you sin, 
remember that you did not commit a sin that is unforgiven or unforgivable. You did not speak evil against the Holy Spirit or God's anointed. Right now, together, we will finish with our unchanging manifestation, which are also our promise. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen.